special day. As Pastor said, I want to uh, join him in, in honoring uh, all of those who've fought and given their all for, for our country, the ultimate sacrifice. And, you know, I encourage you to, tomorrow as you're going about your day, as you're going about with your friends and your family, uh, just take, take that time. Take that time to remember those who died and take that time to pray for the people of our country, Lord, and, and to, to pray for God's will and his purposes to be done in our land. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, today's also a special for another day. You might know uh, if you looked on your calendar, today is the Christian celebration of, anybody know? Pentecost. That's right. Pentecost is very cool. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pentecost, is, it's the celebration. It's the moment of the very birth of the church. It's a, it's a beautiful time when those brave young disciples uh, 2,000 years ago first stood up in front of the crowds of people in Jerusalem, and literally overnight, thousands of people were, were added to the church and uh, accepted Jesus. So it's a beautiful time. So we celebrate uh, that as well. And uh, thank you guys. I do want to say thank you so much for your prayers in this time for, for us, for our church, um, for my dad. Uh, I got to tell you, I love this church, and I know you love this church, but if you're like me, you don't love anything like your family, right? And I got to say, I don't love anything like my family. And, and there's few things in this life that mean as much to me as my father. And he's my hero. And, uh, 31 years, I've seen him get up, pain. He might not have slept for three weeks, and he'll get up and allow God to move through him. And I always stand in awe of him. And so I know for him to take this time, is, is, is a, it's a real deal. It's a, it's a big deal for him. And I thank you guys so much for just supporting him and just praying for him. Um, I'm believing with our elders that this is going to be an amazing time of refreshing. You and God, y'all are going to have, have a good summer. I have a feeling you guys are going to have a good summer. And mom, hopefully he will take you on a vacation. I'm going to be praying. We'll do everything we can to get him to take you somewhere. But uh, I know it. It's, it's going to be tough, though, I know, for him, like she said, for him to sit still. We're probably going to have to change the locks because he's, 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 I know he's going to try to come up here during the week. Make him go. Go. Go away. Rest. Anyway, no, it's all good. Hey, uh, today uh, we are finishing up our series that we've been in called FAQ. It's Real Answers to Life's Frequently Asked Questions. Hopefully that this series has been a blessing to you. Um, we haven't even ex begun to scratch the surface of all of the big questions people have. And so this is a series uh, I'm looking forward to. It's going to come back again and again and, uh, you know, at a later time. And we'll let you know when it, we're going to do another installment of FAQ so you can invite your friends and neighbors. You should be inviting them anyway. But, um, but we've been taking a good look at some questions that all of us have had. We, we looked at why is there suffering in the world a few weeks ago? Uh, what's the deal with unanswered prayer? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how unlimited is God really. And that was beautiful with our kids. We had our kids in here. Today, I want to do something. It's, it's slightly from a different direction because I want to tackle a question that's especially prevalent outside the church. Uh, it's, a, it's one of those top questions that your neighbors who probably don't want to have anything to do with church, they don't like church. This is probably one of those, I bet nine out of 10 of them would have this question uh, about the church and about Christians. And that is, why are Christians such hypocrites? Anybody ever heard that question? Nobody's ever heard that, right? Yeah, of course you have. 
Why are Christians such phonies? A bunch of fakes, those Christians, right? Yeah, so we hear this. Um, to kick it off, let me tell you a little story. Uh, when, I, when I was a young boy, I don't remember exactly how big, we went to a, uh, a wax museum. One of those, like, Madame Tussauds, somebody, wax museum. Anyway, it was, everybody was telling me about what a wax, I'd never been to a wax museum before, so I was excited to go in there. Uh, it turns out that, to make a long story short, wax museums today are right down there with clowns with something I don't ever have to experience again, <laughs> as long as I live. I'm, I'm good. I remember being a little boy and, and going into these places, and and seeing what I thought, oh my goodness, at the end of the hallway is Mr. T. I'm a little boy, it's the 80s. Yeah, Mr. T in the flesh and walking up there and the horror slowly overcoming me as I got closer and closer and I realized his face was a little off and I realized that's not Mr. T at all. There's something about wax museums to me that's uh, just creepy. Um, now, and, and the better the likeness, the worse. The worse it is. That's just creepier. You know what I mean? Does anybody but me? It's got to just be me, right? Oh, look, it's Johnny Depp. Isn't that amazing? No, that's horrifying, right? It's not. Wax belongs in candles and on surfboards. But, but when you try to fool the eye, uh, it's just weird. So I know that's very spiritual. Tell, story I wanted to tell you. But now, what do wax museums have to do uh, with being a hypocrite? I'm going to get to that. Let me ask you this. When you think of the word hypocrite, one of the words that you probably think of as the opposite of being a hypocrite, I bet would be being sincere. The opposite of being a hypocrite is being sincere. Now, here's the cool part. The word sincere comes from the Latin, right? You didn't know you're going to come to school today comes from the Latin. It comes from two Latin words, sine sere, sine sera, sine sera, literally without wax, sincere, sine sera. Now, where did that come from, right? Well, it turned, this is really cool. This, I, I just learned this. I don't walk around with this knowledge. I have to go <laughs> seek it out and then tell you because I'm here to help you. So this is cool. In the ancient world, uh, the, the dishonest merchants would wax their, their uh, pieces of pottery to, to hide defects so they could sell their merchandise at a, at a higher price. And so reputable merchants, you know, the really nice ones, they would hang a sign over their pottery that which would say, sine sera, without wax, to inform customers that this merchandise was genuine. What you see is what you get without wax. Now, I think it's safe to say there's a lot of waxing going on in the church, right? And not of the hair removal type. <laughs> it's interesting that Paul, in 2 Corinthians, compares us to jars of clay, not jars of precious stone or metal clay, and truthfully, we think about it, every single one of us have our own cracks, we have our own flaws, and you know what? God's okay with that. He's okay with it, or he wouldn't have chosen clay to impart his spirit into, but he chose clay. But now, there's something all of us are born with, and that's a sin nature. 
You were born with it. I was born with it. A sin nature. And the, the sin nature in us is an extraordinary marketing addict. It wants to, to market ourselves. It wants to hide the defects. It wants others to think that what is really cracked clay is really polished gold. That's, that's just, it's in our nature. And so it tries to hide, it, it tries to get me to hide behind this deceptive sheen of wax to sell you a better version of me than the real me. I had a, I had a friend, an old friend years ago. Um, we, we still talk here about once a year or so, but this old friend of mine, and um, he was a Christian. He loved Jesus, but he didn't go to church. And, and I was raised in church, always went to church. And so, I, you know, I'd always try to get him to go to church. He said, no, I'm not going to go to church. And I'd always be like, why don't you go to church with me? And his answer was, too many hypocrites. Too many hypocrites, right? Um, it didn't stop him from going like bowling for some reason, right? Or to TGI Fridays or whatever. I guess those places don't have any hypocrites, but... For some reason, right, when it comes to church, all of a sudden people would get really selective with the caliber of people they hang around, right? No, 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 no. I only hang around perfect, authentic people. Can't go to church. Um, but too many hypocrites. So, you know what? I wish I could tell my friend he had us all wrong. But the truth is, he's right. There are too many hypocrites. And I'm one of them. And most of you are probably one of them. That's why we need Jesus, right? That's why we're, we didn't come here to act like we're, we're perfect. All of us, how many of us are hypocrites at one time or another? How many of us put on a false front, put on that second face for, that we show some people, but we don't show other people? But is this what we're really supposed to be? Is this the ideal I don't, I don't think so. In the 12th chapter of Romans, Apostle Paul, he's explaining how the gospel is to be lived out, what it's supposed to look like when, we're, we, got, when we're, we got the good news. And starting in verse 9, he describes what our outreach and our inreach should look like, the way we respond to people around us, in the church and out of the church. He says this, love must be sincere, sinecera, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The principle here is pretty simple. Real love must be sincere without wax. That would have been literally what he said. Real love would have been without wax, without hypocrisy, which I think is what we're striving for, but we got a ways to go, right? Amen. Just me. You're good. I got a ways to go. Matthew 23, Jesus says this, or Jesus said to the crowd, to his disciples, he said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. Now, the word hypocrite's an interesting thing. Do you know where it comes from? Some of you know. But it comes from the Greek, and the original meaning of the word is actually an actor. A hypocrite just was a stage actor. In the, in the ancient Greek, the way they did their theater, you, you wore a mask. You know, if you were the good guy, you had a big, friendly mask with a smile on it. If you were the bad guy, you'd move that mask and you'd put on the other one, right, with a scary face. And, and that's what they would do. And that's how you acted, and that's what being a hypocrite was. So really, if, if you were able to go back into 
you know, ancient Greece, you, you took Doctor Who's time machine, you went back there, you got out and you found a stage actor and you, t- you told him, you are such a big hypocrite, he'd probably just tell you thank you, right? <laughs> I work very hard. Um, but it's interesting, Jesus calls them hypocrites six times in this one chapter. So Jesus is calling the Pharisees religious actors. He's calling them actors. And he points out their hypocrisy because everything they do is done for men to see like an actor on the stage. He goes, I'm just going to fly through some of these scriptures here. He says, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. So everybody will look at how awesome they look. They love, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. In verse 13, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. In verse 15, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as you are. Man, Jesus, come on, man. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Verse 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. It was actually a joke in the ancient language, but I won't go into it. Everybody had a big laugh when he said that. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything's unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Someone once said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Right? It is Christians that lead other people to Christ. And sadly, it is Christians that keep other people from Christ. Christians. For many people today, the truth of Christianity is seriously undermined by by the failures of Christians in the church to live in a manner that's consistent with their beliefs. It undermines the gospel. Uh, Gandhi was a, a, a Hindu holy man. You've all heard of him. But Gandhi, it turns out he really admired Jesus. And he actually would quote from the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that? And he would dialogue with lots of Christians. There was one famous Christian missionary, um, E. Stanley Jones, and he sat down with Gandhi one time and he asked him a question. And he said, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower. And Gandhi's, the famous quote, he said, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ouch. What's even sadder, I was looking into his life, and apparently Gandhi's rejection of Christianity, it, it grew out of an incident that happened when he was a young man. He was a young man practicing law, in South Africa. And he had become attracted to the Christian faith. And so he started studying it out. He studied the Bibles, the teachings of Jesus, and he was seriously exploring Christianity. And the story goes that he attended a church service. He wanted to attend a church service, and he came up the steps of this large church, and a white South African elder barred his way through the door and asked him what did he think he was doing. And Gandhi said, I'd like to attend your service. And the elder said, no. 
I have a theory that if people knew Christ, they would love him. Because to know him is to love him. If they could know Christ, they would love Christ. But sometimes it is his followers who get in the way of other people actually coming to Christ. Even the disciples uh, made this mistake. The disciples were like overzealous secret service agents, right? Some of the scenes here, it's, it's, you read the Gospels, and they're like trying to keep people away from Jesus, including children. They're playing, t- you know, the tough guy. Little kids want to come up and play with Jesus, and Peter's, you know, like on his radio saying, take him down, take him down, right? Kids, swarm, swarm. And what, and what did Jesus say? He's like, let the children come to me. Quit keeping people away. Let them come to me. I heard a preacher one time make a a really profound point about the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And I don't have time to go into the whole parable, but if you can read about it in Luke 15. But I never thought about this before. He, He mentioned the fact that, you know, if that younger son had encountered the older brother first before he met the father, that older brother would never have let him in the house. And he said, the church is full of elder brothers. It's the elder brother, that that religious, hypocritical spirit that keeps the younger brother from finding their way back to their heavenly father. And I don't know what it's, why that is. Maybe we view him as a threat or something, or it's just not fair. I don't know what it is. But I think this is a powerful challenge to us. And the challenge is this, to love people wherever they are in their search for Christ. Love them wherever they are. Whether they're super Christians, whatever that is, or they are still exploring what this whole Jesus thing is about, love them. Love them. Don't get in the way of God doing something for them. Be a conduit for God to do something for them. Be his hands and his mouthpiece of love for those people. Because you know what? People won't change until they are loved. They will not change until they feel loved. And I think it's our religiosity, sometimes hypocrisy. It can keep people from Christ. So here's something I just want you to think about. You may, you've probably heard this. You may be the only Bible that some people ever read. You might be the only example of God's good news that they've they ever read about. And that's a pretty good interpretation of 2 Corinthians 3. Paul's writing to the church, and what does he say? You are a letter. You are a book. That's what he's saying. From Christ, the result of our ministry written not in ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, here's what I don't want to do this morning. I don't want to spend the entire time talking about all the different hypocrisies in the church, because we don't have time, right? That would take too long. We'll just grant it. There's a bunch. I, I mean, we can all agree, number one, that the church has a perception problem, and that perception problem is largely based on the gap between what we believe and the way we act. Our perception problem in society right now isn't based on the teachings of Jesus. It's based on the gap between what we really believe and the way we act, I believe that. That's my definition of hypocrisy. But we can be the solution to that problem. And I want to challenge each of us to to be that kind of person that lives out our faith in a very authentic way. 
And I think this is one of those weekends where, uh, you know, I love you, and I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried to shoot really straight with you throughout this, this series. These, some of these have been some difficult questions, and I, I don't have all the answers, but I've tried to be honest with you. And I think sometimes there's this tendency for us to sit here and hear even this message and think, man, this is a great message for this person sitting beside me. Oh, I'm so glad they're here today. Are you awake? Because he just said your name, man. Right? No, no, no. We all need this. Right? I need this. Right? Where are those gaps in your life? Where are those gaps? How can we be the, the church that is even more authentic and help change the way people perceive the church? How can we close those gaps? I think a lot of us are kind of like the Wizard of Oz. If you ever seen the movie, he's this small old man, and he's turning dials and flipping switches right behind a curtain. Um, he's not really a wizard. Hopefully, I didn't spoil the ending for you. You've only had about 100 years to see this movie. But he's there behind the curtain, and we try to come across as being more impressive than we are, right? And in the process, we become like these Pharisees that Jesus talked about. Some people, some people, you know, they'll speak in these confident tones, but they're full of uncertainty. They're full of doubt. They just can't admit it. Some people try to appear very holy, but lust and anger and greed and pride just is consuming them on the inside. Some of us try to act like we've got our act all together, and we're filled with guilt. We're filled with pain. And there's no reason for it. Because guess what? It's not sustainable. That won't last. You can't keep doing that, right? So I think there's a couple of options here. We can, we can keep faking it, um, slap on more and more layers of wax, or we can start confessing it. We can start confessing it. The Bible says in James, confess your sins to one another, and we never do it. It says it. And we just don't do it, right? I mean, listen, I'm not saying, like, take out an ad in the newspaper or have some awkward moment at your kid's birthday party. You know, I'm going to make an announcement, everybody. <laughs> There's an appropriate context, right? <laughs> There's an appropriate context. But the greatest thing that I think could happen this weekend for some of us would be this. If, if you dared to go to somebody you love, someone you trust, and have the courage to confess to them something that's inside. So I want to tell you something, and I hope you'll receive this because it's coming from love in my heart. Over the years, I've had people sit across from me and make shocking confessions. I have. People on the outside, when they told me, I would look at them and never in a million years would I guess that they were struggling with that sin or this sin or whatever it was. But Listen, but here's what, here's what I've learned over the years. That I think each of us in this room, if we knew each other's greatest sin, we would all be shocked. Can we just say that? We'd all be shocked. All of us. And here's what I tell that person who comes into the office or confesses something over a cup of coffee. When they come in, when they lay it on the table and confess that, my respect level for that person always goes up. 
always it goes up. I may be shocked at what they said, what's been going on with them. I had no idea. But I'm telling you right now, my respect level always goes up because you know what I really admire is someone who has the courage and the honesty to actually confess their sin. Now, hold that thought for just a second. Um, years ago when I was in business school, um, hook them. I was introduced to this matrix called the Jahari's window, and it consists of these four quadrants. Is it up there? There we go. So the first quadrant in this window, it consists of things that you know about yourself and others know about you too. This is your public persona. Uh, It's your public image. The second quadrant on there consists of things that you know about you, but other people don't. This is your private persona. It's who you are when that nobody knows. I'll come back to this one in a second. The third quadrant consists of things others know about you, but you don't know it. That's those blind spots. We all have them, right? You think you're this way, and everybody's like, no, you're not, (laughs) right? Oh, that that sometimes hurts. Um, It's those little annoying habits. Sometimes someone has to point out to us, and we need, you know what, we need to be the kind of community, too, where we love each other enough to be able to speak the truth in love into each other's lives and help each other in this quadrant, because even the Bible says for us to help each other in that way. The fourth quadrant there This is a little different. It consists of the things that you don't know about yourself and others don't know about you either. This is where we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and reveal those unknown things to us. Now, back to that second quadrant there, bottom left. What you know about you and others don't know about you. This second quadrant is where so many of us, that's the part of our lives we live like Thoreau said, those lives of quiet desperation. That is, that is what's going on there. We hide parts of ourselves because we're afraid if people really knew us, they wouldn't like us. And the more we hide, the lonelier we get. F.W. Borum said that there's nothing in the solar system as isolating as a guilty secret. It can make a man feel the loneliest, even in a crowd, a secret. And I'm going to tell you right now, the enemy wants you to keep that secret. He wants you to keep that secret because as long as you keep that secret, he, he controls your life. And it's like blackmail is what it is. When, you, when he gets you to keep that secret, it is blackmail in your life. But if we have the courage to find someone, a brother or sister in Christ, even a pastor, someone we trust, we confess that sin. There's something powerful that happens. And yet those of you who've done it, you know, you know what happens. Oh man, it's like, it's like the devil doesn't hold anything over me anymore because it's out there, right? That verbalization, it begins to set us free. And it does more than that. I'll tell you something else because it changes the way the world perceives you. It will. It'll change the way the world perceives the church. I tell you right now that this is important. The the world cares nothing for profession without confession. Profession without confession, people don't care. You can profess your beliefs to your blue in the face, and if you're not willing to open up and let people in, they're not going to care what you have to say. We're afraid that if we confess our sin, 
People will have less respect for us. The world will write us off. The, the world doesn't write off honesty. I know this about the world. They don't write off honesty. They can see through, and they can see if someone is acting in a genuine manner. Your sin doesn't shock the world. Your sincerity will. I hope you got that. That's a tweetable moment right there. Your sin doesn't shock the world. They live in sin. No big deal. Your sincerity will shock the heck out of them. Okay? I think people respond to authenticity. It's what they least expect from us, but it's what they crave. They won't see it coming. You be sincere with them. Okay, I want to show you a little video clip right now. I know this is a little heavy today, right? It's not like a super shouting sermon. I know that because I'm up here preaching it, and it's heavy for me because I'm up here like saying lots of words, like I'm a preacher who uses lots of words, and I know there are times of my life uh, doesn't match up with my words. It's heavy. But I want to show you this clip that's uh, very special to me. I think all of us could learn a little something from the late, great Chris Farley. Waitress, could I get that shrimp cocktail I saw in the glass case? Yep. I'll have chicken wings. Kitchen's closed until dinner. Just got cold stuff and desserts. Boy, some chicken wings would really hit the spot. You sure it's closed? Let me check. Yep, it's closed. Okay. I'll just have a sugar packet or two. <laughs> hey, what's your name? Helen. That's nice. You look like a Helen. Helen, we're both in sales. Let's say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it, and I pet it, and I massage it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty pet, and I go... <laughs> oh! I killed it! I killed my sail. <laughs> That's when I blow it. That's when people like us have got to forge ahead, Helen. Am I right? Tell you what. I'll go turn the fryers back on and throw some wings in for you. Hey, thanks, Helen. Tummy likey. Tummy want wingy. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but that's funny. If that's not funny to you, I can't help you anymore. <laughs> There's actually a point. See, <laughs> confession is basically telling people where we fall short. That's what confession is. It's telling somebody where you fall short. And he actually said it a little stronger. I edited it for your fragile ears. But, but see, we're afraid. We're afraid if we tell people what's wrong with this, they're going to write us off. But I have found that if you are willing to admit what's wrong with you, when people confess, it's disarming, right? It changes the whole dynamic of a relationship. It's the weirdest thing in the world, but, you know, it's the key to Tommy getting his wingies. His, that honest confessional of his is what's wrong with him. It wins the day, and he gets his wingies. So let's put this in biblical terms. 
because we're in church. First John 1 says, now keep in mind, he's, he's writing this to a church. He's writing this to the church. He's not right, right, not like a bunch of heathens. This is the church. He says, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. In other words, quit faking it. Quit faking it. You aren't fooling anybody. You're only fooling yourself, right? If we did more confessing, I think the world would listen to what we have to, to say the way Helen listens to Tommy Boy, right? But as long as we are all profession and no confession, the world's going to go on ignoring what we have to say. And I wonder what would happen if we, if we stopped every once in a while, quit condemning the sins of others and started confessing our own sins. What would happen? What would happen? So I want to issue us two challenges today. You ready? Now, some of us already have one right there. You need to go out and you need to find a friend and someone you trust and, and confess your sin to them. But for all of us here, here, here's two more challenges. Number one, let's put down our stones. Drop the rock. Just drop it. In John 8, famous story, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees have picked up their rocks, right? Because she got caught, right? We get to do this. Scripture says we get to stone her. What does Jesus say? Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And it says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, which I just think is cool, because, you know, the older ones, they got, like, more sins to think about. And they're like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. One by one, they walk away. Man. When I, when I see Christians, in the name of Christ, picking up stones and throwing them at the world, dude, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to set them free. So here's the second, second challenge. Uh, I just lost my thing here. Can y'all go to number two? Number two, let's stop playing God. Let's stop playing God. And here's what I mean by that. In John 16, 8, the scripture says, when he comes, and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness in the coming judgment. Now, let me tell you what I do instead. None of you do this, I'm sure, but I'm going to admit it. This is what I do. I insert my name in place of the Holy Spirit. Go to that next one. When Scott comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness in the coming judgment. <laughs> From the book of Scott. You know, you know what we're doing? We're playing God. We're, just, we're playing God. We're, we're trying to do God's job for him. God, you're not doing this well enough. I'm going to do it for you. Every time I check scripture, every time I go back and check it, it doesn't change. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, not convict the world of its sin. It never says that. To, that's my job. It doesn't say it's my job. And, and here's where we've overlooked uh, a fundamental mistake. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, it says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? 
Are you not to judge those inside? It seems like we've inverted that a lot. We're really good at judging those outside the church, right? I mean, we can pick at them good. We've got it down. We know how to do it. But we don't even confess to each other. We're not even confessing to each other, but we're judging out there. We like complaining about the sin of the world, but we don't come clean with each other. And I just think that that is what God has called us to do. God has not called us to be the sin police of the world, right? We're not ISIS. He's called us to be grace agents. Grace agents. There's a big difference. And I know this is hard. It is hard. But I I believe the church ought to be the most truthful place on the planet. But we also ought to be the most graceful place. Truthful and graceful. How do we change this? And it starts with with you and me. It starts, that first step towards authenticity is confession of our own sin. Beyond that, it's putting those stones down and quit playing God. And do what Jesus tells us to do, and that's to love our neighbor as ourselves, to tell them the good news, the freedom that comes with Christ. This is why relationship is embedded in our church mission statement. Next slide. Here's the reason. Because we, we want to challenge other people. We want to challenge each other to form a relationship with someone so that they can come to know a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is my challenge to you. That's your challenge to me. Let's form relationships with someone so they can form a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me close with this thought. I know this is really difficult to live because there's a part of us, and, and Christians in here, I understand, there's a part of us that has this like knee-jerk reaction to sin. I'm the same way. I hate seeing people in bondage to sin. Do you? Yeah. I hate it. And when we see it in someone's life, I mean, we don't want to turn a blind eye. We don't want to condone sin. So how do we handle this? How do we do it? What's the practical advice? Here's, here's the answer. When I have to have that tough conversation with somebody, when I've got to address a brother or sister in the Lord, a brother, I'll let Mel address the sisters. When I've got to address a brother in the Lord, it's that tough conversation. I always go to John 1.14. Put that up there. Yeah, there is John 1.14. And so if we sit down and I quote this to you, look out. <laughs> and I'm joking. <laughs> it means something's coming. That's really hard for me. No, no. Uh, John 1.14 says that Jesus was full of truth and grace. He was full of truth and grace. Grace and truth. Truth means I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. I'm going to be honest. But grace means I'm going to love you no matter what. Oh, that, if, if you've got that down, you are a ninja in the kingdom of God, right? Sometimes if you love someone, you've got to speak to, into their life honestly and openly. If you love them, you will. But keep in mind, truth without grace is one of the biggest turnoffs to people. And grace without truth, well, that's pointless, that's, that's a relationship that's an inch deep and a mile wide. It's not going anywhere, right? It's no substance to it. So with God's help, we need to be the kind of people that somehow combine grace and truth. So I want to challenge you this morning to consider where you are on that spectrum. You're probably, you probably lean one way or the other. I want to challenge you. Some of us tend toward the truth 
end. And we got to be reminded that we are grace agents. And some of us are on the grace side of things. We got grace down. We love everybody. But we need to be reminded that there are some times when you love someone, you have to speak the truth in love. Amen? See, central to being a follower of Christ, central is having nothing left to hide. You got nothing left to hide. You have no more reason to hide behind the wax to impress other people. There's, there's no one more impressive than Jesus, and he's the one we really want everybody to see anyway, right? Amen. I'm going to pray for you now, and then I'm going to speak a blessing over you. Hallelujah. Lord, God, help us. God, we come before you this morning. We pray that you would speak into our lives. God, we want, first of all, to confess our sins to you. God, we thank you. We don't have to fake it anymore. We don't have to pretend, Lord, but we can simply come to you and confess our sin. Lord, thank you for the beautiful promise that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, Lord God. We don't want to be that, Lord God, but what a promise that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, Father. Lord, may every single person in this room or, or listening by podcast, God, may we experience your forgiveness and your grace as we confess our sin to you right now, Lord. I pray you would challenge us to be the church. Forgive us for those areas where there's that gap between what we believe and what we, the way we act, what we do. Help us to close that gap. God, I pray we would not get in the way and keep people from encountering you, Lord God. But that when they would read the, the book that is our lives, Father God, they would see you in action. They would see Jesus in action. Draw those people to Christ. Help us to be the church, Lord. I don't want to settle for being a wax replica of the real thing, Lord God. May we be sincere. May we be your authentic followers. Help us to, to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As our prayer partners are coming forward, I just want to speak a, a blessing over you this morning. My little benediction to you all. May you endeavor this week in all of your relationships to speak in grace and truth. May you put down the stones and stop playing God with the world outside our doors so you can create those authentic relationships with people who desperately need a relationship with Jesus. May you learn the freedom that comes with confession of our sins and, and stop being blackmailed by your hidden sin. And may you learn to live without wax. Sincerely, cracks and all, no hypocrisy, and free in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you Wednesday night. Blood calm comes to a sea like snow
Condition. 